Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. This is paranormal Pinkerton detective Sean Russo speaking. Normally I wouldn't bother with the identification, since my recordings are labeled and put into my file, but this is a special case. The start of this recording is going into my personal file, and I have it in my will to send this out to old Tom in case something happens to me. I will upload a redacted version to the servers soon. Control is not to be trusted. I've been getting suspicious for a while, but after this last case, well, just listen for yourself. The details are in this recording. I'll start this off by going over some of the aftermath of my last case. See the file labeled Rue Castle Manor Mystery for details. After Violet and I escaped, I drove us to a 24-hour diner. I found food helps dull the shock of being kidnapped for a Masonic ritual. I wasn't doing too badly, but I tend to delay my freakouts for when I'm safe. Rue Castle Manor was not the closest I had been to death. That honor goes to my encounter with the Whirling Wimpus in the Appalachian Mountains. Or, well, maybe the time I was nearly shot by a werewolf hunter while working a case in Shipton. Either way, I tried to talk Violet through it. Violet had not taken her experience well. She was on the verge of tears and shaking. She sat with me between her and the door and spent a little too long looking out the windows. When the flight or flight calmed down, I waited for her to say something. She squeaked when the waitress asked for her order. She fumbled the answer, so I ordered some fries. The waitress gave me a strained look. I decided to take the initiative when she left us with the coffee. This would probably be a long night. Uh, Miss Hunter, I understand that you just went through quite the ordeal. But you know, you were quite amazing. She managed to look up from her mug, some comprehension returning to her eyes. Me? How? The fries I ordered showed up. I pushed it over to the middle of the table and gestured to Violet to take one. You managed to hide that you were speaking with me from cultists. You hid your phone in a moment of high danger. You placed a clue for me in an easy-to-find spot. You helped me to navigate out of the mansion while it burnt down. And you did all of this without having any experience with this sort of thing at all. I was going to pick up a fry myself, but I realized my own hands had started shaking and I didn't want to show it. I squeezed my mug and didn't worry about the heat. Like I said, pretty amazing. Violet was blushing now. I still felt for the girl, but it was cute. I slid over my business card. If you ever need help, Miss Hunter, give me a call. I'll pick up. Yeah, my hands were shaking, but she took the card. I don't mean to come off like a big shot here, but it wasn't because I was scared for myself. I'd handled worse. 
It was because I had started to hit me just how close I was to losing Violet. I saw her on the slab, knife in her chest, hair blazing with blue fire and eyes white, staring at the ceiling. She was alive now. I focused on that. We were there for another twenty minutes until Violet's friend showed up to pick her up. I made idle chit-chat to avoid hyper-focusing on what had just happened. By the time I left, she was visibly more calm, and she had promised to give me a call if she ever needed help. We even shared a laugh about not getting overtime. Truth be told, I thought about her a lot. I had her number from the Rue Castle Manor mystery. My confessor looked at the relationship funny, but said that platonic thoughts about a vivacious and friendly girl isn't sin. But Cynthia was... well, no. I was thinking of calling myself when I was surprised by her about three weeks later. Long story short, she wanted to talk to me about the weird stuff that the Masons were trying to weave into her hair. She still had them, to my surprise. I was more shaken than I thought if I'd forgotten to get them sent to control. I decided to shoot for the moon. Tell you what, I'll make you an offer, Miss Hunter. You said you'd come meet me in New Jersey. How about you go on a date with me at the Jersey Shore and I'll take a look at your, uh, hair ornaments? To my delight, she answered cheerfully. Sounds wonderful. I'll be there. We made plans for this past weekend. Violet and I met each other at the seashore boardwalk. The plan was that we'd spend some time together having fun, then I'd take a look at those ornaments. Violet had never been to the boardwalk before, and I wanted to show her a good time, but, well, I had to admit, my idea of what the New Jersey boardwalk was like wasn't really up to date. The Jersey boardwalk, even the Jersey boardwalk in February, on a Saturday is normally packed with people. Tacky t-shirt shops lining up every stall, the tram car riding by every few minutes, and pizza place after pizza place interspersed with arcades. And, of course, there's the amusement park at the end of it. Now, half the stalls are empty, and the boardwalks themselves aren't nearly as crowded. I guess this is a good thing when you're just trying to enjoy the sights, but I can't help but worry about what's going to happen in the boardwalk in the years to come. Like everything else in this crummy state, I guess. Sorry. Got distracted. Back to Violet and me. We started off with drinks at a bar called the Spicy Pepper. I'd been there before. It was a fun place. Violet seemed to be enjoying herself. You know, for being an island, Ireland doesn't have anything like this on their shorelines. Oh? What does Ireland have? Ireland has history. We have a heritage. She looked out of the bar towards the beach. The view was beautiful. It was a clear day, and sunlight bounced off the white caps of waves from a wind that wasn't cold enough or strong enough to pierce our jackets. America... Well, not so much, you know. I like it here, don't get me wrong, but I miss that sense of history. I raise my eyebrows. I first met you restoring a home from the 1700s. Violet's eyes lit up and her voice grew louder. She pointed and gave me a grin. She had me. That's exactly my point. That's an old building in America, but not in Ireland. In Ireland, we have castles from the Middle Ages, carved stones and rocks set up before Christ or Nebuchadnezzar. You Americans don't understand old. And this matters to you. It does. I took a gap year after I finished high school and worked with the Irish Preservation Society. She took a sip of her drink. 
John, maybe you can understand this, considering your line of work, but the way I see it, something is wrong, right? With society, I mean. It's sick. I mean, just look at your boardwalk. I've never been before, but I can see the shuttered shops, and I've seen slums and everything going on with the devil-dancing COVID. We've lost something. I nodded. I know exactly what you mean. I see it every case. The monsters are creeping, being let in, and the people who should fight them back aren't. Yes, the way I see it, we need to return to... something. I don't know what, I'm not an expert, you know? But that's why I'm so interested in these old buildings. They're a physical connection to a past we're losing, heading towards a future that keeps looking worse and worse. I raise my eyebrows. That is a surprisingly profound thing to hear while sitting on a bar stool at the Spicy Pepper and drinking a Shirley Temple. Violet laughed and jostled me. I can't help your laws, and besides, you're drinking a root beer. Sorry, history is my passion, though. I get worked up about it. Hey, it's nice to talk to somebody so passionate about something. Don't be sorry. Violet looked at my drink and her smile faded. Uh, John... I have a personal question for you, and I know this is a first date and all, so don't feel like you need to answer or anything, but I saw where she was looking and read between the lines. Don't worry about it. You're right. I don't drink. Or not anymore. Violet looked at me with genuine sympathy. What happened? Well, it's a typical story. I was going through a rough patch, and I thought the bottle was helping to get me through it. Turns out all it was doing was making it worse. Don't worry, I wouldn't have brought you here if people couldn't drink around me. Violet smiled. All right, I'm done here anyway. What do you say about exploring the boardwalk a bit? I threw down a 20 and stood up. Sounds good to me. We haven't gone to the amusement park yet, if you like that sort of thing. Well, I'm up for it. We walked over to the boardwalk, chatting cheerfully. I had to say, I was shocked at how well things were going. Not that I doubted Violet would be good company, but she was incredibly easy to talk to. She hadn't brought up the Root Castle Manor mystery yet, but she also seemed like she wasn't getting the trauma of it get her down either, which made me happy. I could bring up Pinkerton work without upsetting her. Unfortunately, good times can only last so long. The amusement park section was open, but half of the rides were closed. I figured the old-fashioned two-story funhouse mirror maze would be open, but to my surprise, it was shut down too. I was, of course, wearing the Ring of Dispel, the ring that breaks enchantments and allows me to see through the veil, and that house of mirrors... Well, it was blood-stained. Green smoke seeped out from under the doorways, and there was a whisper, a pull, coiled out from it like a finger crooking and calling everyone in. Whatever it was, it wasn't strong enough to keep the out-of-order sign from doing its job, though. Surreptitiously, I slipped off my ring. The green fog vanished. The blood disappeared. The pull became nothing more than a vague buzzing sound from the funhouse. I slipped it back on. The fog and blood flickered back into view. I sighed. Great. I hated it, but I couldn't let this go. Pinkertons are always on duty. I turned towards Violet. Something just came up. Violet looked confused. What? How? You weren't even on your phone. It isn't an official case. It's here, this boardwalk. Something's wrong. What is it? I looked again at the House of Mirrors. Hey, Violet, look at that House of Mirrors. 
can you see anything, uh, weird? She squinted at it. No, not really. Why? What's up with it? Violet had a limited ability to see through the veil, but the ring gave me the gift of Elisha, or the ability to see completely, no matter how powerful the enchantment. Still, that Violet couldn't see it meant that the enchantment must be powerful. It's, well, it's magic, I guess. I need to check it out. Professional ethics. Can you wait out here for me? Violet looked alarmed, but she nodded. Okay, fine. I'll wait for you. I smiled. The, uh, the there-there customer. I'll get you the good deal. Smile. Thanks. I won't be long. I don't think. I'm not solving anything today, just figuring out what I should do from here. And I walked cautiously towards the House of Mirrors. I went around the corner and pulled out my Glock from a hidden leg holster. No one saw, and I was ready. This time I didn't think I'd have to worry about being stuck inside. There were emergency doors, and the exit was just a big open entryway. As I made my way cautiously inside, past the bloodstains and the green smoke, my mind raced. Something wasn't right here. Now I knew control. All Pinkertons do. And it is something of a truism that control also knows you. She tends to have an idea of the whereabouts of all of the agents at all times. Even Jack couldn't hide from her completely. There is no way, none, that Control didn't know I'd be at the boardwalk today. So why wasn't I assigned to this? I knew it was recent because I'd been to the boardwalk just a few months ago, and none of this nonsense with the green smoke and bloodstains was there. Heck, she'd send me on missions with less evidence than bloodstains on inhabited boardwalk, veil or no. I knew I was the nearest Pinkerton to the area. Nobody else could be working this case, because the only other active Pinkertons had stopping grounds in the south of Middle America and the west coast. Did Control not know about it? Considering Control's resources, I found that unlikely. She would give us things the NSA didn't have yet. So why wasn't I assigned to check on it? I decided to tackle this problem later, and made my way inside. As soon as I stepped through the door, the green smoke surrounded me. I decided to call out. This is Detective Sean Russo. I want to know what's going on here and why. Don't test me, I'm in a bad mood and I never appreciate interrupted dates. In response, I heard laughter over an intercom. Detective Sean Russo! It looks as if our fish took the bait after all. I wheeled around with my gun. Show yourself! Laughter again in response. Why, all in good time, Detective Russo. All in good time. You see, I've been watching you for a while now, and you know, I admire you. There were no walls around me and the exit had disappeared. All I could see was the hall of mirrors in front of me. Tried to wave away the green smoke. It felt more like cotton candy than a cloud. I'm flattered. You should be. You see, I am of the opinion that people tend to underestimate you, Detective Russo. When I got you as an assignment, I was told you'd be an easy mark, that you only survived so long out of luck. But you know, I think that's unfair. The way you handled things down in Shipton? Magnificent! You made an ally with one of the wolves when Morrow or Donovan would have made a corpse. Excellent! And that business in Rue Castle Manor? Now, that was first-rate. I didn't bother responding at this point. I just waited for what he was going to do. Well, Detective Russo, unlike my, uh, 
Colleagues, I'm not underestimating you. That's why I made sure to separate you and lure you into a building I controlled. Of course, I knew you would take the bait, even if you were... On a date, as you say? Of course you would. You are a consummate professional, after all. It's almost a shame that this ends here. I need to find a way through this hall of mirrors. I hammered on the nearest one with the butt of my gun. It didn't shatter. Didn't even crack. No can do, detective. You'll need more force than that. You don't say. I thought for a moment, and something occurred to me. The way the Ring of Dispel worked is that it allows me to see the supernatural realities surrounding me that were normally hidden by the Veil. But maybe those supernatural realities were blocking the real physical realities in front of me. I need to move before I caught a bullet with my forehead. I took a deep breath and removed the ring. The fog vanished. The mirrors remained. I turned around cautiously and my heart sank. There was still no entrance. Only mirrors and mirrors behind them, half hidden by the green fog. The mirrors in front of me bent and collapsed back, revealing a maze of mirrors and fog. He was hurting me in deeper. I resisted. What had happened? How had it happened? I had no idea who this guy was. There's something about a man who makes so many elementary mistakes like this. Based on this guy speaking, I knew he somehow had access to Pinkerton files. I knew he was part of a larger organization, and I knew that this whole thing was specifically meant to trap me. That's all valuable information. Only two types of enemies give that sort of information up. I was either dealing with someone who had no idea what they were doing, or maybe someone who was so good that they just didn't care. Once again, I had to make a snap decision. Figured it was any second until the bullets started flying, and it's much harder to hit a moving target. I started to sprint into the mirror maze when I heard another voice. Sean! Don't run! I whirled around so fast I nearly fell over as I heard laughter over the intercom again. Violet? What are you doing in here? I had to come in. I needed to help you. I spotted something. I stared at her, dumbfounded. And what could you have possibly spotted that could help me? The upper window. I saw someone there. It looked like... like a magician. I grabbed her. Upper floor. From the outside. When I was watching you, after you stepped through the doorway, I couldn't see you at all. I know it's dark in here, but it didn't make sense. I tried to see if I could see anyone. On the upper level, there was this... carnival magician, I guess. Just speaking into some sort of microphone, only I couldn't hear anything. But he did this thing with his magic wand and something, I don't know, changed or, or rotated. Is that why you ran in? I figured you'd want to know. Violet was right. This was extremely useful information. It meant the magician was in the same building, just on a higher floor. The voice over the intercom laughed again. Ah, you must be Violet Hunter. You acquitted yourself well at the Rootcastle Manor, my dear girl. You deserve a bravo for that as well. Violet stiffened, deer in the headlights. I looked over at her. He's trying to get in your head. Don't let him. Stay close to me. It's been nice meeting you, Detective, but you know, I think it's time I finish this. The building started to shake. I grabbed Violet's hand. Don't let go of my hand. We can't get separated. I knew how mirror maces worked. To get up the stairs, you had to make your way through. If this guy, Bounty Hunter, 
was really communicating over intercom. He must be in the building, which means there must be a way to get to him. It's time we went up. We ran into the maze. I made sure neither of us touched the walls. It was a descent into madness, or maybe into hell. The deeper we went, the more reality seemed to bend and shift around us. It was hard to make out, but I could swear monsters were moving behind the mirrors. The further we got through the maze, the closer they got to us. I kept Violet moving forward. Sometimes something whizzed past my leg, right at the calf. Or I stepped on something that squished or snapped. I didn't stop to think about it. It may have taken hours, or maybe just a few minutes. But somehow we made our way through to the stairs. Violet was actually invaluable here. She had a knack for spotting which way were the mirrors and which way was the way forward. I don't know how, but I couldn't see it until we stepped into the silver shine abyss and landed on the same floor we had left. I wondered what would have happened if we'd went down the wrong path. I don't want to think about it. No hesitation this time. I held my gun out in front of me and made my way up. Or was about to when I was interrupted. A grand show, Detective Russo and Miss Hunter as well. Magnificent work indeed. What a performance. A magician, complete with cape, top hat, absurd mustache, and even one of those old-fashioned white-tipped magic wands made his way down the stairs to greet us clapping his white-gloved hands slowly. Your experience has served you well. Six months ago, I doubt you and I would ever have met face to face. Yet, here you are. I've never been so excited, I said grimly. Surreptitiously, I pushed Violet behind me. The magician's smile never wavered. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Alexander the Great. I am, as you can see, a magician and a bounty hunter for, uh, certain unsavory organizations. Believe me, my dear detective, I would tell you right now, but they frown on that sort of thing. Is that so, I said. He must have been five feet apart, and my gun was trained directly at his heart. Still, he wasn't at that point trying to kill me or Violet, so I decided to try and talk. If you respect me so much, just let Violet and I walk out. And in return, I won't plant six bullets into your chest. A good show, detective, but this is the end. For real this time. The magician flicked his wand and I fired, hitting him directly in the chest. He staggered backwards, but didn't fall. There was no blood. Violet screamed. Sean, look out! The mirror to the side of me shattered with a piercing noise like a screaming banshee. Massive shards of glass head straight towards me. I didn't hesitate, spreading my arms wide and standing in front of Violet. I closed my eyes, only for Violet to scream. Terror washed over me as I turned towards Violet. The broken glass had somehow missed me completely. I had no idea how, mostly ending up on the ground, but a massive chunk of it sliced open Violet's left shoulder. Blood poured from the wound, and she fell onto her back, clutching it. Violet! I turned towards the magician again. My fear turned to rage. I wanted to help Violet, but he was still a threat. Alexander just looked confused. Now, how is that possible? You should have been targeted. I walked forward and grabbed the magician by the neck, placing my gun at his head. You're out of tricks, magician. For the first time, there was fear in his eyes, but something else. Perhaps respect? Too late, I forgot to grab his wand. Abrica! 
<laughs> he wheezed as he managed to flick it. He vanished in a poof of that green fog. I stared in disbelief. The neck I was holding was the neck of a corpse. Old, moldy, and rotted. But a corpse I recognized. James Cleveland. Another detective who used to work in New Jersey Beats while I was training with old Tom. I dropped the body in disgust, then remembered Violet. I turned towards her. She held up one hand. I'm okay, Sean. She managed to stop the bleeding with a torn-off piece of her shirt. I released a breath I didn't realize I was holding. Thank God. That could have been worse. We made our way to the top of the building and to an outside platform with stairs that led out. It was a normal building again. Control, I've sent you some pieces of the mirror. I know this wasn't an official case, but maybe some of the eggheads can get to it. Violet was hurt, but not too terribly. We went to the emergency room for stitches. I never did talk to her about those Masonic artifacts. Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Okay. For those still listening, hopefully you understand now why we can't trust Control. That bounty hunter had details that were impossible for anyone but a Pinkerton to know. The only person who would have that information is... Well, you know the answer to that question. That little adventure with the glass settles it. I know that old Tom thinks it's a bad idea. I know that it's been protecting me. But Morgana's curse had nearly gotten somebody else killed. And I can't accept the status quo. Enough games. I'm a professional. Just like Jim. Just like Jack. And just like old Tom. It's time I took on Morgana and settled things. Once and for all. Sean Russo, signing off. For real this time. Get ready. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Anthony Marchetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.